Welcome to Keeping Fit with Stories. Today's story is going to take you 3,000 steps closer to your target. So, deep breath. And let's begin. He escapes from prison, but only so that he can be recaptured because he wants a longer jail sentence. Yes, I'm talking about Charles Sobraj, a.k.a. The Serpent. Now, depending on how old you are, you may or may not have heard of him, but in the 1970s, Charles Sobraj was the most well-known name in the world of crime. He was the first truly international criminal who had been jailed for crimes across the world. But it wasn't because he had been jailed across the world that made him famous rather because he had broken out of all of those jails. Eight jails in eight countries, which is why he was called The Serpent. And his other equally dramatic nickname was The Bikini Killer, because of the number of his victims who had been found floating in swimming pools, brutally murdered, wearing nothing but a bikini. His life is one long story of love and murder and crime. Sobraj was a killer, he was a gangster, he was a smuggler, a jewel thief, a criminal, a wanted man across continents. But he was also the smoothest operator. He was suave and charming and utterly irresistible, with women falling all over him all the time. Even though most of the women connected with him generally came to a gruesome and bloody end. And yet, the line of women just never stopped. Even while he was locked up in prison, there are reports of how women would line up for conjugal visits. Conjugal visit is if your husband or wife is in prison, as the spouse, you can get permission to occasionally spend the night with them. These women were not wives. They were just female fans who had read about his exploits in newspapers and were ready to put up with the filthy conditions of jail just to be able to say that they had slept with Charles Sobraj. Makes him possibly the only convicted man in the world to have had so many women in prison with the permission of the jail authorities because it seemed that no one could ever say no to him for anything. You know, Charles was born with possibly every disadvantage. No money, no home, not even a nationality. But he had something that most people never manage to acquire, no matter how long they live. It's something that money just can't buy. He had this charisma, this power over people. He had an ability to make them do anything for him. And so, as I said, in spite of his crimes, in spite of his reputation, in spite of all his jailbreaks, no one seemed to be able to say no to him for anything. And I'm not just talking about the women. Hardened cops, worldly solicitors, cold-blooded criminals have all fallen under his spell at some time or other, all to their own downfall. And yet, 
every turn of his career left the world speechless. Even when they were expecting it, it left everyone dumbfounded. And so my lovelies, come walk with me as I tell you the story of a man they called the Serpent. Today's story has been scripted by broadcaster and journalist Yasser Usman. April 1944, Charles Sobraj is born in Vietnam, the illegitimate child of an Indian man and a Vietnamese woman. His father is not interested in them and so his mother marries a young Frenchman and Charles moves with his new family to France. And it is here, while other kids of his age are complaining about going to school and trying to get out of doing homework, that Charles begins his life of crime. robbed his first bank. By 19, he was in his first adult prison. And by the time he was 25, he had made his first jailbreak. But my story today, from his long career in crime, begins in 1970, when Charles Sobraj's criminal activities bring him to India. Now, by now he's on the run from France, from Greece, from Switzerland, from various places for an assortment of crimes. And he escapes to India. 1970s India was all about the hippie culture, where the path to nirvana was paved with drugs and alcohol and free love, man. Everyone was already out of it. And this was truly like paradise to the young Charles. See, you have to remember that at this point, Charles was still just a small-time criminal. He was quite happy stealing passports, robbing tourists, selling small-time drugs to young Americans and Europeans on the hippie trail. But it is here in India that Charles extends his repertoire from small-time drugs and petty theft to smuggling and arms-dealing and murder. According to police records, between 1972 and 1975, across India, Nepal and Thailand, there are at least two dozen murders, mostly of young European girls, that he is supposed to have committed. He was so charming that he never had any difficulty getting close to the girls. Actually, they were more than eager to be with him. And then it was like a pattern. He would become friendly with them, supply them with drugs, and then kill them. Although he didn't call it killing, of course, he called it cleaning. He was cleaning up. He was cleaning up. His first murder victim was a young American designer called Teresa Knowlton. They had been living together for some time, and then one day she is found dead, 
her bikini-clad body floating in the swimming pool. His next victim was his best friend's girlfriend. Her body also found floating in the pool, wearing, yes, you guessed it, nothing but a bikini. Hence the nickname, Bikini Killer. But finally, in 1976, the Indian police catch up with Charles Sobraj, and for the murder of a young French woman, he is arrested and put into Tihar jail in New Delhi. Well, he escapes. He was, after all, the serpent. No prison in any country had ever been able to hold him. And Tihar jail, with its degree of corruption and inefficiency, didn't even stand a chance. But this is the story that I've been waiting to tell you, because frankly, it is the stuff of legends. Now, don't get me wrong, each of Charles's prison escapes was legendary in its own way. One place he had managed to escape from prison, the one in Greece, by setting fire to a police van. In France, he had jumped out of an upper story window. Another place he had actually tunneled out of prison. Yes, this happens in real life too, not just in films. He had tunneled out of prison. Yet another time, he had faked an appendicitis attack. Although this one had gone slightly wrong because they had ended up operating on him. They'd actually ended up removing his appendix quite needlessly. And so from this point, he had taught himself how to vomit blood on command for his next set of escapes so that he wouldn't end up in surgery again. As I said, he had done it all. But his escape from Tihar jail is at a whole different level. Charles Sobraj had escaped from Tihar jail by feeding everyone drugged food. Tihar jail, only the highest security jail in India, only the most overcrowded jail in India. And yet, he manages to drug everyone and make a break for it. Apparently, Sobraj had been promising everyone a party for his birthday, and he had organized with his accomplice David Hall to deliver the food to the jail, doctored with sleeping pills. According to police records, David Hall had used 820 sleeping pills for the job of drug called Lapros, which he had carefully dissolved in water and then painstakingly injected into every tiny bit of the food, every grape, every burfi, every little thing, so that no matter how much or how little someone ate, the sleeping pills would still have the same effect on them. But you know what always strikes me about this story? Charles Sobraj's charisma. Because in spite of his reputation, in spite of everything that he's done, in spite of the fact that he's known to be manipulative and untrustworthy, no one even questioned the food that he had ordered. It was all brought in with the permission of the prison authorities. No one checked it in any way and everyone shared in it. The story goes that Sobraj literally watched everybody fall asleep guards, wardens, inmates, everyone. And then, calmly taking the keys out of a sleeping guard's pocket, he had unlocked his cell and let himself out. He had literally sauntered out of Tihar jail, past all the guards and wardens lying sprawled on the floor, past the six armed guards at gate number three who were now blissfully slumped over their rifles and into the waiting car outside. 
and apparently as part of his contingency Sobraj had also taken along one of the drugged wardens with him in the car he propped him up on the passenger seat and put one of his arms across the open window so that just in case anyone spotted the car leaving from a distance they would simply think that it was official business can you just imagine the fallout from this can you imagine the chaos oh and by the way Do you know who was in charge of Tihar jail at the time of this escape? Kiran Bedi. Now, for anyone out there who doesn't know who Kiran Bedi is, Kiran Bedi is a legend of Indian law enforcement. She was the first woman to become a police officer in India in the face of a huge amount of opposition because the fact that she was a woman was bad enough, but her biggest flaw was that she was fanatically incorruptible. she was totally in- incorruptible in a very corrupt police force and so she had been given a series of what is known as punishment postings to teach her a lesson but she had applied herself to each of these jobs with such literal minded zeal that she'd ended up becoming a national hero instead her bosses who thoroughly disliked her discovered that now she couldn't be gotten rid of the only thing that they could do was to make her life more difficult and so kiran bedi was appointed chief of tihar jail you know tihar jail in the 1970s was possibly the worst jail in india which is saying something it had staggering levels of violence of corruption and of prisoner deaths but kiran bedi had flipped this into a pr triumph as well she had turned the jail into a sort of rehab ashram with a compulsory program of meditation and yoga and vocational training for all inmates and she had been so successful with this that the clinton administration had invited her to washington to the white house to advise them on prison reforms she was a tour de force unfortunately however her ego was as large as her abilities and kiran bedi had allowed herself to be seduced into believing that she had rehabilitated charles sobraj as well he had told her that on being released from tihar jail he planned to go and work with mother teresa and she had believed him unfortunately as we know that's not quite what happened and she got into a lot of trouble for this but enough about kiran bedi Let's go back to the story because there's so much more to this escape than meets the eye. Charles Sobraj escapes from Tihar jail. But after escaping, instead of laying low and hiding, Charles goes off to Goa. where he makes himself as conspicuous as possible whizzing around the island on a motorbike and not just any motorbike a bright pink one wearing ridiculous disguises that were calculated to draw more attention to him than to conceal him he's eating out at restaurants every day and so on so that within a month he is rearrested now once again you can imagine the scene The authorities are congratulating themselves it's in all the news look we've recaptured this dangerous criminal no one escapes us etc etc but in actual fact 
This was Charles Sobraj's plan all along, to get himself re-arrested. See, Charles was due to be released from Tihar jail quite soon, but there was an extradition order out for him. He was to be sent to Thailand, where he was wanted for the murder of a couple of young European girls. And in Thailand, he was facing the death sentence. He had tried appealing against the extradition in the Delhi High Court, but he had lost that appeal. So the only way to escape the firing squad in Thailand was to remain in jail in India. And the only way to remain in jail in India was to somehow extend his sentence. So the escape was planned with the recapture in mind. And to make sure that this whole thing would take as long as possible, to make sure that even the trial, once he was recaptured, would drag on for a long, long time, because, well, he needed all the time that he could get, Charles had instructed his associate, David Hall, to take photos of every step of the escape. The pistol they had carried, every time they switched from a car to a train, each restaurant they stopped at, every waiter who served them, everything. Because everything that is photographed can be produced in evidence. And if it is produced into evidence, it has to be tracked down and corroborated by investigators. It can take years. And Charles was absolutely right. It took more than eight years to compile all of the evidence dossiers against him and another three years for all the testimonies to be heard. And by the time it was all over, the statute of limitations on his Thailand extradition warrant had expired. Smart guy. But of course, his story isn't over yet. Just a couple of years later, Sobraj once again ends up in jail, this time in Nepal, for the murder of a young American woman called Connie Jo Bresnik. And this time, he is given a life sentence. Okay, time for a quick stretch as you get ready for the next twist in Charles Sobraj's story, because just as you think you've heard it all, <laughs> well, you'll see. Four, three, two, one. Back to the story. Charles by now is 64 years old. He has just been jailed in Nepal for life, but he's not particularly worried. He's been in prison many, many times before, and he's always managed to escape. He will be out of here in no time at all. As a matter of fact, He's gone around boasting already that he could smuggle an elephant out of Nepal right under their noses and they wouldn't be any the wiser. Their prison was certainly not going to hold him. But then, into his prison cell and into his life walks Nihita Biswas. Beautiful, bright, 20 years old. She has just been assigned to him as his translator for his upcoming trial. And in that very first meeting, Nihita Biswas falls madly in love with Charles Sobraj. Yes, yes, I know. I've said that he had this irresistible charm, this charisma, that nobody could withstand him. But still, 
He is 64 years old. He's a career criminal. He's a smuggler, a drug dealer, a murderer of young women who have been close to him. She is 20, straight out of school, beautiful, brilliant, her whole life ahead of her. I mean, what did she see in him? And when I say she falls madly in love with him, it's not just one of those passing fancies. She falls so deeply in love with him that she marries him. You know, Nihita had once told the Telegraph in an interview that for her, it had been love at first sight. She said, we shook hands with each other and he was so polite, so charming. And then he looked deep into my eyes and I fell in love with him. His age didn't matter. It was his personality. She said that on that very first day, as she was leaving, he had given her a list of food items that he wanted her to get. Things like chocolate and juice and so on. But when she returned with them the following day, he said to her, this was just an excuse. I really only wanted to see you again. I haven't slept all night thinking about you. And that was it, she said. We knew we were made for each other. Ah. Anyway, exactly three weeks after their first meeting, Charles proposed to Nihita. And this was when young Nihita decided to tell her mother about her new romance. Now, you can imagine the scene in any house, right? A child saying to her parents that she is in love with a man who is more than three times her age, a man who is in jail as we speak, and is wanted across the world for about 24 murders. Chaos, yes? Wrong. Nihita's mother, Shakuntala Thapa, who was a top lawyer in the Supreme Court of Nepal, on hearing about Nihita and Charles, was absolutely delighted. Yes, that is the word that I used. Delighted. In her interview to The Telegraph, she said that when Nihita told her about Charles, she had gone personally to visit him in jail. And she says that she saw in his eyes such love for her daughter that not only did she decide to support Nihita's decision to be with him, but she also decided right then and there that she herself would fight Charles Sobraj's case in court for him that she would personally defend him against these ridiculous and unfounded charges of murder. And when asked that he was facing these same charges across several countries, were all these countries wrong? She had said that what the other countries did or didn't do was not her business. In Nepal, there was no proof against him, and hence in this case, they were unfounded. And when the interviewer had further asked her that she didn't think that the age difference was too much between them, 64 and 20, she had said that if two people were in love, then age didn't matter. was most bizarre. Both mother and daughter had defended Charles with all of their might, so much so that both of them even got sent to jail at one point during the trial because they had defended him so strongly. According to reports, when Charles's appeal was turned down, they had both lost it completely. They had yelled in court, they'd abused the judges, they had generally been so obstructive 
that they were punished for contempt of court. And it was actually quite a severe sentence. They were fined, they were given a jail sentence, and Mrs. Thapa was forbidden from standing for judgeship at any future date. But even that hadn't changed the way that they felt about him. You know, Nihita got asked all the time that Charles was in prison accused of murdering a young girl, that he'd been accused of murdering many young girls who had been in love with him. Wasn't she frightened? Wasn't she worried that he might try and harm her in some way as well? Nihita, however, was convinced that Charles was innocent. Innocent and sweet and genuine. You know, she'd even gone on television on a program called Big Boss, which is like an Indian version of Big Brother, to convince the world of his innocence. Unfortunately, that hadn't gone so well and she was the first one to be evicted from the house, but nothing, nothing had discouraged Nihita from fighting his cause. <laughs> I sometimes think it's worth wondering just what kind of magic this man must have had. Charles and Nihita were married on the 9th of October 2008 on the festival of Badadashmi. In Nepal, the Badadashmi festival is considered very auspicious for marriages. Lots of weddings take place on that day. Charles and Nihita had also picked that day for their wedding. The ceremony had taken place in prison. It was a simple affair. In the press photos, you could see that the bride was wearing jeans and a pink top, and Charles had worn his familiar cap, his beret. The conditions in the central jail in Kathmandu were pretty awful, so conjugal visits were not possible. Nihita couldn't spend the night with him, but she was not worried. Nihita was convinced that very soon, Charles's sentence would be overturned and they would be together forever. That was in 2008. Today, in 2020, Charles Sobraj is still in prison in Nepal. For the very first time in his life, he hasn't managed to escape. The serpent has not been able to slither out. All of his appeals have been turned down. He's now 76 years old. He's not well at all. He's had cancer. He's had an open heart surgery. And he had requested to be released on compassionate grounds. But that appeal was turned down as well. So he is still in prison. And Nihita? Well, the marriage was never consummated and she's not allowed to visit him that often either now because, you see, she was suspected of supplying him with illegal mobile phones, which apparently Charles had used to order a hit on another inmate. So her visits have been curtailed as well. But visits or no visits, she insists that she still loves him and will wait for him as long as is necessary. And me? I am waiting for the next twist in the story. Charles may be old and sick and still in prison, but I keep thinking something else is about to happen. I think there are still some twists left in this serpent's tale yet.